Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Extension Educator Michael Sindelar. Today we're going to be talking about insects. I'm going to be joined today uh, by Dr. Robert Wright, who is a entomologist specialist here at the University of Nebraska. Good morning, Dr. Wright. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Could a little bit more, use a little bit more rain in the south central part of the state, but we could do without the wind. Right. So today, the the first thing I would like to talk about is that uh, the university extension um, specialists, such as yourself, they give us a lot of lovely good data with their black light traps. How how do we use that data, and how are we supposed to interpret it? Okay, the short answer is our light trap network uh, cannot be used to make treatment decisions in individual fields. We have four light traps at different locations across the state in Northeast Nebraska at Concord at the uh, Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center near Ithaca at the South Central Ag Lab near Clay Center and the West Central uh, Center at the North Platte. And black light traps primarily value in uh, collecting or attracting night flying moths. So there's about a dozen different species that we keep track of that are potential pest problems on crops in Nebraska. And the, the main benefit is no, one thing is knowing the timing of when different insects are occurring and something about the relative abundance. Like recently, we've been seeing a fair number of yellow woolly bear moths at both Clay Center and North Platte. And I've seen seeing some reports that the people are seeing the caterpillars, not necessarily economic levels yet, but it gives us a little early warning of what we should be scouting for. Uh, same thing with uh, Western bean cutworm, we monitor that. We also have a degree day model in that case, but it gives us uh, a little bit of an update on where things are. The alternative for some insects is pheromone trapping and pheromone trapping is probably more accurate, but we have to have a different pheromone for each pest insect, and that gets to be rather expensive. Another downside of the black light trap for, in, for individual farmers to use is that uh, you have to be able to identify the 20 or more different types or sort through and identify the different moths that you're seeing. So if you're just interested in one insect, uh, a pheromone trap might be the best approach uh, we're trying to get a, a general viewpoint of what's going on across the area. So the black light traps might be more of a like heads up for agronomists in an area to know what they might be looking for. Right. And for certain things, like I said, for Western bean cutworm, it helps us know when we should start scouting. Uh, for some insects, we have degree day models, but for those that we don't, the black light trap tells us you know, the, the activity insects is, it varies with temperature and so not, not so much the calendar date. And so the black light tells us what's going on that with the timing of different, uh, particularly moth species this year in terms of their, their timing. And just, just to emphasize, it is not to be used to make management decisions. Right, because the moths will fly around and uh, choose which fields are most attractive. Uh, for example, Western bean cutworm likes to lay eggs in pre-tassel corn if it has a, a choice. And so 
in some years at the South Central Ag Lab, we have very heavy moth flights, but we don't necessarily get a lot of eggs in our fields, depending on the, the phenology of the corn at the time the moths are flying. They will fly around and seek out the preferred plant stage that they most like to lay eggs on. Well, it's been a hot, dry year, and not just in the south central part of the state, um, but across the state. With that, are grasshoppers going to be an issue as uh, pastures and ditches dry out? Yeah, we're, we're getting some reports. Uh, obviously, we didn't have a very heavy winter in terms of cold temperatures, which can sometimes reduce overwintering survival of grasshopper eggs. And uh, so we're in some areas, we have noticeable grasshopper uh, small grasshoppers in field borders or pastures. And as you mentioned, in areas where the, we haven't got a lot of rain, that's going to drive the grasshoppers into crops quicker than if we had more rain and the, the field borders and pastures were green and lush, the grasshoppers would stay there. But uh, areas where we're seeing the field borders or other areas uh, dry up more quickly, they'll, they'll start moving into crops earlier, and, and that is happening in some areas. So certainly now is a good time to scout for grasshoppers and see if you have them on field borders or field edges. Uh, we have some rough guidelines in terms of the numbers that, that might be worth treating in either, either situation. We had a recent Crop Watch article that uh, describes this in more detail. Point is that if we do have reasonable numbers, it's uh, better to control them before they get into the field. On the field borders, you don't have to treat as much area and cost as much money in terms of insecticide. And also it's a lot easier to control small grasshoppers than larger ones. As they get bigger, they get harder to kill. So if we have high, higher numbers, it's easier to, to control them while they're small. That's a good point. It's easier to control them in the grass borders while they're small because you have right. less area. And they're, they're more susceptible to the insecticide. So what else are we seeing across the state for issues? Well, probably in corn, uh, two things that are happening right now. Uh, we have western bean cutworms have been laying eggs in some parts of the state for a couple of weeks, and it's happening a little later further west in the state. But now is the time to be scouting for egg masses for western bean cutworms. Uh, if we have high numbers, and it doesn't take that many, the threshold is between 5 to 8% of the plants with an egg mass or newly hatched larvae on the plant. If we do have that, that treatment level, we want to wait until tassel emergence occurs to treat. And the new, the new caterpillars, as they hatch out, if they hatch out before tassel emergence, they'll feed on the developing tassel in the whorl. And then once the tassel emerges, they're more exposed, feeding either still on the tassel or on the leaf axles. And we want to have about a, about a week probably between tassel emergence and when they start moving into the ear tip or ear. And if we do have high numbers, we want to treat before they get into the ear. It's very hard to control them once they're inside the ear. So uh, regular scouting is important to check on the numbers and also, if, we, if needed, the timing of an insecticide application. So where on the plant do we want to look for those egg masses? Well, they're mostly on the upper part of the plant, upper third or half of the plant. And they're normally on the upper side of the leaf 
although some uh, moths will lay, lay them anywhere, but most of them are on the upper, upper surface of the leaf and the upper third of the plant. And then as I said, once the eggs hatch, they also you'll they find the caterpillars either in the emerged tassel or in the leaf axles feeding on pollen. Do we have any other uh, headaches that are moving in or that we should be thinking about uh, treating? Well, the other thing is, again, as we having a silking in a lot of in a lot of parts of the state, uh, particularly rootworm beetles are potential. Uh, they like to feed on you know, green silks, and if there are high enough numbers, particularly in high-value crops, certainly seed corn or, or white corn or popcorn, uh, and 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 sweet corn too, for that matter, uh, we don't want to interfere with pollination. If we have enough beetles that they're feeding, clipping the silks to within half of an inch of the of the husk, and they're doing that before the the corn is pollinated, the seed seed is pollinated in the ear. Uh, that is a treatable level, and there are a few other insects. We have Japanese beetles in some areas that also like to feed on fresh silks. So watch for silk clipping insects as silks emerge. And again, if we have high populations, you want to treat uh, before they damage pollination. So I've seen in the south central part, some Japanese beetles moving in on soybeans. Uh, what are, are our thresholds for treating Japanese uh, beetles and soybeans? Well, in general, we have a, quite a few different defoliating insects, leaf eating insects and soybeans, grasshoppers, several caterpillars, and as you mentioned, the Japanese beetle. And when we make a decision, we want to try to evaluate defoliation from all insects and estimate defoliation levels across the whole canopy. And most of our soybeans are in reproductive stages now. And if we have 20% defoliation and uh, insects are still feeding, that's a treatable level in uh, reproductive stage soybeans. Is there anything else that we need to be on the lookout for? Oh, again, you mentioned earlier, it's been hot and dry in some areas, and we're, we're getting some reports of uh, spider mites on soybeans, and there probably are some in corn as well. We want to watch out uh, in both soybeans and corn, uh, routine use of insecticide if we don't reach a threshold. In both soybeans and corn, uh, that can set us up for later problems with spider mites because most of our insecticides we use are relatively broad spectrum and they kill off the natural enemies, the, the beneficial insects, the predatory insects that feed on immature uh, and adult spider mites. And if we knock off the predators now, a small population of spider mites with the right environmental conditions can reproduce rel relatively rapidly. And so that's something to be watching for oftentimes in corn or soybeans, it's the uh, south or west facing part of the field that gets water stress maybe is gonna develop or show spider mite uh, populations first. So that's something to watch for. And then if you see yellowing of the leaves, yellow spots on the leaves and look on the undersides of the leaves and see small spider mites, you need a hand lens probably to see them. Uh, that's something to check for as well. Is there anything we need to worry about with drought and how that affects how effective insecticides are? Oh, not so much drought, but uh, we know high temperatures, extremely high temperatures, like in the above 95, can reduce the efficacy and persistence of some insecticides. So that, that's something to be aware of.
Uh, do you have any upcoming programming, Dr. Wright? Oh, I'm involved in several programs. They're going to be virtual, several events in, in August, the, uh, the soybean management field days and corn and soybean management uh, field days that we normally have in August at different locations are all going to be online this year. Well, thank you for, for joining us today, Dr. Wright. You're welcome. Hopefully we have a good growing season, even though it's hot and dry.